Since March 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been developing content monthly, weekly, and daily for the business of pharmacy. With more than 25 different podcast channels, more than 1 million downloads, and 30-plus participating pharmacists, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is the global leader in podcasting for the pharmacy professional. Find all of our podcast channels by going to pharmacypodcast.com forward slash shows. excited to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Pharmacy Podcast Network. RX Destroyer is transforming the drug disposal space by bringing your facility and patients a simple and effective method of safely disposing of unused, unwanted medications. If you're worried about drug diversion and federal rules compliance, learn how RX Destroyer can keep you DEA compliant by checking out www.rxdestroyer.com forward slash Pharmacy Podcast Network. To receive 10% off your first order, use the code PHARMACY10. This is the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy Future Leaders is a podcast dedicated to pharmacy students by pharmacy students who are committed to making an impact on our healthcare system and providing optimal patient care as innovative and leading pharmacists. As Pharmacy Future Leaders, we dedicated our lifetime of service to others through the profession of pharmacy. We will consider the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering as our primary concern as we apply our knowledge, experience, and skills to the best of our ability to assure optimal outcomes for our patients. And now, here are your hosts and Pharmacy Future Leaders. This is Pharmacy Future Leaders on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I am Joanne Pio, and I will be your host for today's show with our guest, Dr. Melody Hartzler owner and CEO of Farm to Table, LLC. Welcome to our show, Dr. Hartzler. Thank you. It is so great to have you on our show because we've been trying to showcase um, unique pharmacy roles um, beyond, you know, hospital and um, retail. So it's amazing to have you on our show as a functional pharmacist. Awesome. Yes. Thank you. I, I have handed a lot of different things. And so um, functional medicine is one of those. I'm excited to share about that. So for our um, listeners who do not know, can you like describe what functional medicine is? And then what is your role as a pharmacist in this career path? Sure. So essentially functional medicine um, is a framework for clinicians to um, look at the body in a systems-based approach and to be able to address the underlying cause of disease. And so there's, um, you know, seven core principles of functional medicine that you know, we often um, go to that are, you know, sort of developed by the Institute of Functional Medicine. Um, and essentially it looks at acknowledging that we are biochemically um, individuals, um, you know, that we incorporate a patient-centered approach rather than disease state-centered approach. So we're looking at our N of one person in front of us, which is a lot different than um, sometimes when we're looking, you know, population health-wise, and then it takes a while for us to really get to that individualized treatment. And then um, seeking balance in the body with internal factors and external factors. So not only looking at the body as 
just this, you know, thing that we can give drugs to or supplements to, but also thinking about spiritual things, um, stress relief things, meditation, yoga, all those kinds of things are going into our treatment plans as well. Um, and all the things I love about functional medicine is that the view is really that health is, is a positive vitality and it's not the absence of disease. So just because you don't have a disease doesn't necessarily mean that your body is healthy. And so, um, really, you know, getting to the core root cause of things and helping you to have, you know, enhancing a health span instead of just a lifespan so that someone would be healthy, um, during a longer number of years. And then one of the last ones, um, a key to that functional medicine is a science using profession. So it's no different than, you know, how we address other things. You know, a lot of the reports I get, you know, I see, you know, the microbiome and I see, you know, my culture and sensitivities and I see, um, you know, I have reports, look at the, I can actually get the Krebs cycle and, you know, all the physiology. It makes me really wish I had paid a lot more attention back in biochemistry when I was in school, because now it's like literally what I'm using to look at a patient's results and to figure out what nutrients they need. So overall, I think the biggest example of functional medicine is looking at things like um, digestive disorders or functional digestive disorders. And so, um, you know, our GI system is so important. It is, um, you know, 20% of our immune system and the lymph tissue is in our gut. And then um, that's really the first area in our body that is exposed to, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, foods that we eat and, you know, immune system sometimes can get dysregulated if we are, you know, uh, potentially have an imbalance in bacteria in the gut, damaged gut lining. And so there's a lot of um, communication in the gut to the different endocrine organs. So there's even some relationship between, or there is a relationship between um, GI imbalances and microbiome issues to um, things like diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And so since my um, ambulatory care practice, I practice at Western Medicine Family Physicians in Fairborn, Ohio. Since the ambulatory care practice, I do a lot of diabetes management. So it's really great um, segue because a lot of people um, in my practice, um, you know, I talk to my diabetes patients all the time about their bowel habits um, and find out a lot of times that they have bloating, they have abdominal pain, they have distension. Um, and so it really just leads into some of these functional medicine approaches. But I think I, IBS is one of the, um, is a great example. So, you know, there's a lot of pharmaceutical agents on the market for IBS, but ultimately none of those actually heal the person of IBS or get rid of the IBS. It's just a chronic medication you have to take to manage the symptoms. And so instead of just taking a chronic medication to manage the symptoms, we actually want to treat the root cause of IBS. And there's a lot of different factors, but a lot of times it comes down to inflammation, motility issues. Sometimes it comes down to dis. One of the most common causes um, is something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is, um, you know, even our Western medicine approaches have, you know, identified that as a, as a cause of IBS um, because IBSD is treated with an antibiotic um, called Ifaxin um, with pretty good um, efficacy rates, although um, the reoccurrence rate sometimes are higher than we would like it. And that's part of the um, another piece of the puzzle that sometimes um, traditional GI um, providers aren't looking at is the actual how do we prevent this from recurring again and addressing some of the motility issues and some of the things, um, you know, the root cause things that are going on. So in my practice, I um, have con 
agreements with physicians for a whole host of chronic disease states, but one of those is IBS. And um, we are able to order testing. And so we actually can order testing to look at the microbiome. We can um, also, you know, prescribe antibiotics if needed for um, treating that. And we also can recommend supplements and um, nutritional, like there's a medical food called Interrogan that we use a lot for um, the symptoms of um, some of this. And so a lot of people uh, do better with that and it helps to calm the inflammation. It's a, um, a serum-derived IgG product um, from a bovine source. And so it really helps calm the inflammation in the gut. And, you know, we also, besides removing the pathogens with either antibiotics or even um, nutritional supplements that are antimicrobial in nature, like berberine, oregano, um, you know, allicin, like garlic, things like that. Sometimes um, we also have to think about food allergies or stress. A lot of times I tend to not um, focus much on the food intolerances at the beginning because generally those resolve and can resolve some of the other things. Um, but other approaches to a functional approach to GI, we would look at placing um, dietary or um, digestive enzymes and potentially bile. If someone doesn't have a gallbladder, they need to help have some bile to emulsify the fat so that they can actually absorb fat soluble vitamins. Um, but even then, sometimes, you know, their um, secretion of bile is not optimal. So we might use either a bile supplement or some bitter or something like that to help stimulate the flow of bile. Um, and then after we've, you know, removed the potential cause, you replaced it, you know, help the digestive process to improve. And we also look at re-inoculating with good bacteria and help repair GI mucosa, um, other nutrient support. And then also, again, looking at the psychological factors here too, is there stress that's involved in this? Is that, you know, potential trigger for the patient? Is it autoimmune type reactions? Um, so psychotherapy, stress relief, um, mindfulness type activities can also be part of the plan. And so it's not that functional medicine, and I really don't think functional medicine, you know, in the future is really going to be a specialty. I think it's really going to be how it's going to be this approach that we need to use to, um, really address chronic disease in our country, but there's going to be an, you know, providers can't go through all of these, um, extensive, you know, visits and tests and things in the 15 minute, um, primary care model that we have now. So that really has to be something that changes as we, you know, continue to collaborate and look for team-based approaches. Hopefully that answers, um, the question a little bit, but if you want me to clarify anything, let me know. It, it does. So, um, you said something at the end about, you know, this is not something that the primary care physicians can do in the 15-minute consultation. Is this sure. something that you can see pharmacists entering into this gap to help patients in terms of, um, you know, um, like, for instance, a diabetic patient, you know, um, doing that diet management with them? Um, because, you know, it goes under our scope because Lantus... Um, it works better if the patient's on a di um, on a diet. Like these are not magic medications. They don't mm -hmm. work well if the patient's not on a good diet. Yeah. So I definitely think things like um, carb counting and you know dietary interventions are definitely something that pharmacists can include in their counseling. I mean, I used to do a lot more dietary um, approaches with my diabetic patients, but now I'm thankful I have an RD in our practice that 
also able to go a little bit more depth in the, you know, for the basics, but she's able to get into meal planning and helping them with menus and creating sort of, you know, what their, you know, week should look like, which is, you know, phenomenal to have that resource, but not every practice has that. And, um, when I went to the FQHC, we didn't have that resource and we also, our patients struggled to make it to the other side of town to go see the dietitian that was involved with the healthcare system. So sometimes you become not dietary resource for the patients for sure. Um, I think the hard thing with nutrition is there's so many different opinions on nutrition and, um, overall, I think, you know, a moderate carb, um, Mediterranean diet, low to moderate carb Mediterranean diet, um, template is a really good template been well studied for, um, preventing metabolic disease. Um, so that's typically what we do try to recommend less 30 grams of carbs per meal for our diabetic patients. And then, um, less than, uh, 15 for a snack. And that tends to help, you know, get them to where they need to be. I've never seen someone eat, uh, 60 or 60 grams of carbs, like the AA said, men can eat per meal, um, and still be controlled. So I think that's the hard thing is sometimes it takes a little bit of clinical experience to really, um, be able to hone in on what your dietary recommendations are. But specifically with IBS, there's um, a popular diet called the FODMAP diet or the low FODMAP diet, which essentially um, FODMAPs are like fructose, disaccharides. They're all those sugars that need broken down um, bacteria in our gut in order to um, you know, be used for energy. And so when you have this overgrowth or this imbalance of bacteria, when you eat those things, that's what then produces the, you know, hydrogen gas, methane gas that, you know, are causing the bloating and um, diarrhea and constipation sometimes. So um, removing those can be helpful for symptoms. And it's probably the most well-studied diet as far as IBS um, management. The challenge is if we remove all those bacteria or um starches that bacteria like to feed off of, we also are going to remove the good bacteria eventually if we don't give our body fibers and, and prebiotic nutrient support for our, our good microbiome. It's going to cause our microbiome to be less diverse, which is not a good thing. So um, low follow-up should really be a short-term intervention, but it's something definitely that pharmacists could be involved with and sit down and talk with a patient about. So there's um, a group called the Functional Medicine Pharmacist Alliance, um, and Lauren Castle is a friend of mine who started that group. She, um, you know, really is advocating for functional medicine to be used, um, in community pharmacists and, and community pharmacy practices. So there's a lot of independent pharmacists in that group, but also, um, pharmacists that are doing consulting, ambulatory care, you know, a lot of out, different types of outpatient practices, um, and so it's fun, you know, even if you're a you know, pharmacy student, pharmacist, um, can definitely check out, there's a Facebook group. For that, um, which I'm assuming you have shown, so we can probably link those. Um, and then, you know, that's a great way to sort of hear some of the other, you know, thoughts that people are having, questions people are asking in that group. So right now, it's just sort of a grassroots movement within pharmacy. Um, but I think, you know, more and more pharmacists understand, you know, concepts of functional medicine and understand how to apply it. Um, I mean, there's lots of simple interventions that can be done in a community pharmacy setting, even. You know, nutrient medication related nutrient depletions is a area that, you know, once you realize what medications can deplete certain nutrients, you know, recommendations for patients, you know, when you're dispensing those medications or, 
Um, if you can work with a collaborative practice, maybe even testing for some of those nutrient deficiencies in your pharmacy, and then you know working um, to help address those. A lot of what you know, a lot of what I recommend from a functional medicine standpoint is over the counter over the counter supplements. Um, you do have to learn which are the you know high quality supplements and and know which companies um, have good manufacturing practices because we know that they're not regulated the same way that they um, prescription medications are. So. It's important to know who you're getting your supplements from and, you know, which ones you would want to choose for your patients. But that can be, you know, potentially a source of revenue for your practice, but also um, a, you know, a way that pharmacists can get involved because it's not um, requiring a prescription. So Zyfaxin is probably the most common thing I use in functional medicine that does require prescription that I have to work with my family medicine team to um, prescribe. So I think, you know, wherever pharmacist is, I mean, even in the hospital I study, and I think there's times where some of these concepts, you know, especially when we talk about microbiome interventions and, you know, probiotics and, and things like that, there could definitely be, you know, conversations at a hospital level that look at, you know, some of the strategies to prevent C. diff, you know, there's a popular strain of yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii that um, is good for, um, recurrent C. diff, you know, so I think there's different studies and things going on that pharmacists could probably be involved with to try to help, um, you know, move the, move the needle on some of these other interventions. Cause you know, some, there's not a lot of, you know, things pipeline or some of those things. And so if we can use things we already have, um, just maybe think about things a different way. Sometimes that can be a great place to start. Awesome. And then how can um, pharmacy students enter into the into functional pharmacy? Like, is there a way that they can um, learn, like, um, join your organization, the Functional Pharmacist Alliance? Yeah, right now it's free. There's no, um, you know, cost to join. So that's a, that's a good place to start. Um, there's also conferences. Um, and so the challenge with some of the functional medicine training is it can be pretty expensive. And so that is actually why I started my new website, functionalmedicineCE.com. And I, um, you know, kept hearing from pharmacists that they really want to learn about this information. And then um, some of the, you know, programs are great. So Institute of Functional Medicine has great programming. It just is, you know, a couple thousand dollars for each, you know, conference. And then, especially if you're talking travel and hotel on top of a conference fee. And then there's also um, A4M is a great, you know, conference. Um, there's all kinds of different conferences and training programs on different topics. And then, you know, a lot of the national pharmacy organizations, um, you know, have meetings, but there wasn't a lot of, until more recently, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to present functional medicine topics at those. Other than, you know, NCPA's efforts there, there really haven't been a lot of movement in the pharmacy organization. So that's really, you know, where I was, okay, you know, I'm education background. I've taught, you know, pharmacy school um, since, you know, 2010. I've, you know, developed lots of continuing education programs. I have a passion for functional medicine. And so I really felt like, you know, there needed to be more available to pharmacists to learn about this. So that's where, um, like I said, the functionalmedicinece.com was born and we're doing our first virtual symposium on November 9th. And we do have a non-pharmacist uh, price. So students can join at that. And um, pharmacists, if you're listening, um, are able to get CE and also um, some networking opportunities. And so that will be, um, you know, available. And there's 
also going to be recordings if you're listening to that after November 9th has already happened. We do have recordings up and be able to, um, you know, download those and list, you know, for purpose. But the um, actual day, you know, there'll be, you know, chat, you know, like a live chat and people will be able to ask questions and a lot of those things. And we have all of our speakers um, for this first symposium are pharmacists. And so Lauren Castle, the founder of the Functional Medicine Pharmacy Alliance, will be speaking on... Um, sort of an introduction to functional medicine, more elaborate than what I gave in my um, few minutes uh, description, but we'll be talking about the process of functional medicine and also talking about nutrient depletions related to medications, like I mentioned. And so that's a great place for people to start thinking about those things. Even if you're interning at a pharmacy, a community pharmacy places that you can make um, recommendations. There's a lot more things beyond just our with metformin and our CoQ10 with um, statins that we can think about. And then I'll be talking about dysbiosis and so that imbalance in the gut bacteria and we'll be addressing um, SIBO as well, which is that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And then um, the next speaker, um, Laura, is going to be talking about um, immune system and how the gut and the immune system I hinted at it a little bit, but she'll be going in a lot more detail about how um, gut health and the immune system are connected, and um, especially when we talk about allergies and autoimmune disease. And then in the afternoon, we have two pharmacists um, that are going to be um, speaking on hormone therapy. And so Har is going to be um, speaking on um, sort of the testing protocols and bioidentical hormones and you know, some of that. And then um, our last speaker, um, Jenna Clack, is going to be talking about um, oxytocin and how that affects neuropeptide regulation and also even impact of the gut. So one of the things about functional medicine is a lot of it comes down to um, how healthy our gut is. And the Hippocrates said, you know, a thousand years ago that, you know, all disease begins in the gut. And he was really right in a lot of ways. I mean, there's some things I think that don't necessarily begin in the gut that be viral um, type, you know, things like EBV causes a lot of disease that, you know, isn't necessarily a gut um, issue, but could be, you know, we think about the immune system being in the gut um, as well. So, so we really focus on gut health and that's really sort of the theme of this first conference and even with the hormones, like how the gut health impacts hormone regulation. Um, and then in the spring, you know, we're hoping to, or the early, I guess it's probably might be still technically winter, but sometime in February, March, we're going to be having another um, symposium focused on pain and inflammation. And then um, later in the year, hopefully I'm moving into some other topics. And so um, I hope that, you know, we're able to make functional medicine training for pharmacists um, a more reasonable price point than some of the other opportunities that are out there. Um, so, you know, we really want to, you know, bring that to as many pharmacists as possible. And so that's really where we are with the conference. And so we're excited about first one as people have already started registering, um, you know, we're looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for your um, taking the initiative with this um, discipline of pharmacy. You know, um, the patients need all pharmacists to be educated. And a lot of pharmacists, they don't have the funds to spend $1,000 for the CE. So just um, coming up with your website and um, functionalmedicinece.com and all the other, like, free resources or even low cost resources is extremely helpful, even for new graduates like myself, so that we can educate ourselves so that we can 
better assist the patient. So thank you so much for that. No problem. Um, and I'm also happy that you came on today's show. Um, you gave us a lot of information explaining to us what functional medicine is. And it's just, um, it's great for our pharmacy student listeners to just find some new area of pharmacy that they can look into and possibly expand on to expand into. And then, um, yes. yeah, it's amazing. So, um, to our amazing listeners, please, um, we're going to go ahead and, um, as when we post this episode, just give you all the information that Dr. Hartzler, um, provided with to us today. And then, um, as always, please remember to follow us on all of our social media accounts for fun tips and advice and updates on the show. Um, thank you, Dr. Hartzler for coming on today's show. No problem. Yeah. And you can also follow me on social media. I'm at farmtotable.life on Instagram and Facebook, P-H-A-R-M-T-O-T-A-B-L-E dot L-I-F-E. And then the um, functional medicine CE also has um, an Instagram and Facebook profile and that's FX Med CE. So I'd love to connect with you on social media. Awesome. So go ahead and follow her on her social media accounts too, so we can all just learn more about functional medicine. This is Pharmacy Future Leaders. The mission of the Pharmacy Future Leaders podcast is to support all pharmacy students by providing advice, direction, stories, and sharing with each other. Be sure to use the hashtag Pharmacy Future Leaders on all social media. We thank you for listening to our podcast. Please send us an email if you're interested in being on the show. Send your message to pharmacyfutureleaders at gmail.com. Just remember, never give up, stay positive, eat healthy, get your sleep, and know why you wanted to be a pharmacist from the beginning to help others live healthier lives. We are Pharmacy Future Leaders.